Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. What do you think about the Apple Watch that was announced, Rick? I mean, what, it measures your the oxygen in your blood or something like that? That's kind of cool. I mean, I think it's turning into a medical device. <laughs> I mean, I, I have the previous. It. Yeah, right, exactly. I, I have the watch from, what, a year ago, maybe two years ago? I, I don't remember. But I didn't. I watched it and was like, okay, that's cool, but I don't need to upgrade. So <laughs> what about you? What did you think? I think it's nice. I like the always-on display, even though I don't have one as recent as that. I think I have the three. So it's it's due for me to renew. And mm-hmm. I order it, and I'm supposed to get it like next month because, of course, I order a popular color. But I'm looking forward to it. It seems <laughs> like a nice device. It's It's funny how they cannot really say anything about a medical device. But yeah it does kind of like give you a lot of those readings and at least it gives you a history of that. I wonder when they're going to do like a round one, like a circle one. They, they're they going to switch the form factor and then all the developers are going to be like, oh, we got to redesign all these apps. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a good question, actually, because it's been the same form factor since the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. It's an Apple thing to go and switch it at some point when the developers are getting comfortable with it. <laughs> of course how's work what's new yeah it works good um working on this feature i think i talked about it last week or two weeks ago called the daily but it's kind of cool to take one of those ux heuristics we talked about visibility of system status and at pinpoint we're kind of saying hey okay that's a ux heuristic for a website you know you always want to tell the user what's going on highlight a button or let the user know what the system's doing or whatever. But we're kind of trying to apply that to this daily feature at Pinpoint across an engineering org or a company. What's that visibility of system status? What do people need to know in the company that's going on or that's being talked about? Maybe use some data science to surface some of those things. Hey, today, you know, your stand up, you show up to the daily and it says, hey, you need to talk to these people based on what they're working on, based on what you're working on. And that it's kind of like that taking that visibility of system status heuristic and applying it to engineering org. So it's kind of like from a philosophical perspective, it's kind of cool to think through some of that. Yeah, because you have to think about the timeline, like when should I show this status to whom with what relevance and any warning. That seems interesting. Seems like you're having fun. Is it out yet? Actually, you could sign up and play with it, believe it or not. So we, we kind of push code, I don't know how many times a day. So yeah, as soon as it gets merged into master, it's there. So we have a partial, what do we call it? We call it early access. That's what we call it at pinpoint. So you sign up and there's a little button on the bottom left that says, Hey, let me use early access. And then you can get some of those features. Awesome. I'm going to give it a try and I'll let you know how it goes. I have a couple of friction log projects that I have around and that might be good <laughs> to try it out and try to make myself into a little status because they're getting a little bit more complicated. So cool. This episode is brought to you by Pinpoint. Build more, be more. The collaborative workspace where developers go to get work done. Pinpoint brings together all the information from the fragmented tools used to build software into a single view with more context and prioritizes work. The result? Happier and more productive engineers. Sign up for free at pinpoint.com. Our thanks to Pinpoint for sponsoring our show. Yeah, you know, this week I had to record... A, so we're doing a big launch of a bunch of features, like from a marketing perspective this week. And I had to record a video talking about the daily and this notebook thing we're working on. Oh my goodness. Listening to myself talk, I had to edit my, my recording. I say, um, 
so many times. It's so bad. I feel bad for you, Cesar, because you're the one who edits our video or our podcasts. And I don't know how many ums I say in a podcast, but my goodness, in that five minute video, I must have said it like 70 times. <laughs> well, I can tell you how many ums we both say in a podcast in average, because I use this tool called Descript, which allows me to edit the audio as if it was text. And it also has it's a nice awesome. feature. Yeah, it's it's a lot of time saver. I mean, I use different tools. I use like three or four tools to get you this episode to your uh, podcast player. But Descript is a crucial one. And it has this remove filler words option. And it's not like, like sometimes I got to reintroduce some because we're talking about something and the idea just kind of like cuts off in an odd way. Right. Uh, so you still yeah. have to go through it. But the first thing that you were saying, like listening to my voice, not only the arms, just in general, if you listen to your own voice, it's just, mm-hmm. um, it's a strange, you have to get used to it. And I mean, you listen to the episodes, I edit them and I list them afterwards too improve and to try to uh, bring you the listener good quality on on what we're talking about and it is difficult because you find so many things with your own voice that you want to fix but then you're talking and then you continue to make them and uh, so don't worry about it now that I did that video yesterday or yeah the video for that I'm so cognizant of it I'm thinking about every word I'm saying and trying hard not to say um so I guess it's good to listen to yourself from time to time, even though it's it's kind of cringy to always listen to your voice. But to keep you from saying um, it, that's it's a good exercise, I guess, <laughs> for me. And as a non-native um, English speaker myself, I find like little things on my accent that are just annoying to me. Probably a lot of people don't care, but I find mm-hmm. them and I'm like, ah, I got to really try to fix this or try to do this small change but without losing my own voice without sounding like somebody yeah. else it's hard but it is right. it is a good introspect experiment yeah 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 i hear you I, when i was learning spanish and i lived in peru and i'd hear myself say something i'm like oh man i sound like such a gringo it's so bad <laughs> <laughs> and then i try really hard and i come back from peru to america and i'm talking spanish to you know Guatemalan that lives right down the road and he's like man you sound like you're from South America and I'm like no 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 I'm not I I know what I know better than that I sound terrible (laughs) but yes I think you speak better English than I speak English and Spanish so there's that oh thank you I'll take that as a compliment (laughs) (laughs) you know this thing I never had like specific English classes or an English school just throughout my education I had an English class and all the books were in British English. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah, I had yeah, all yeah. these uh-huh. fancy words and all these um, <laughs> yeah. like hard-pronounced T's on my accent when I came to the U.S. that everybody was like, wait, are you from Mexico? Because you have like a strange British tone yeah. uh, hidden over there. I think I'm losing it now. But from time to time, there are words that still come to that. And it's, it's hilarious. I have been to a couple uh, a couple of times to the UK and it's like, Oh, this sounds like my English lessons. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So there was a, uh, the, the language school I went to in Peru, most of their teachers went to a British English school in Lima, which is where I lived. I lived in Lima. And so when I was talking with them, conversing with them in the language school, the Spanish language school, they would say words like, Hey, how do you like your flat? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're flat. How do you, and they would just look at me. We're like, you don't know what that is. I'm like, I have no idea what a flat is. What, what do you, how do I like my flat? And I An come apartment. to figure out, Oh, that's my, my apartment. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was even learning English down there in Peru. <laughs> yes, it, it is pretty common. I think Pearson and Hill or something like that is the editorial that publishes all the books down there. And it's, Mm-hmm. It, and there are so many words that, that you don't learn until you come here, especially like buying groceries or like when you're doing yeah, right. casual conversation. Oh, how do I say this? And then somebody will correct it. And fortunately, everybody's nice enough to to give you hints. So, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's one of those things that it is hilarious how uh, the languages develop. Now, I can tell you that 
I'm here and there is a mix of all the Spanish variations in the U.S. So when I talk to people that speak Spanish in California, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't understand Spanish because they're using words from El Salvador or Peru or Argentina. And now there is this American Spanish that yeah, I right, quite right. Not It's a whole get. other subculture. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. I want to do a quick administrative Reminder to everybody listening, subscribe to our podcast on both Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen and please rate the show. We have been getting a few rates, positive ones, and we're quite happy about it. We're, we keep getting good feedback privately. So I want to say let's make it public. And if you don't know how to write a review, let me know and I can help you. Um, <laughs> we'll send you one. <laughs> <laughs> I have a template that you can use. It really helps with the ratings and and with the discoverability of our show. And we just try to keep it as good as possible and make it better on every episode. All right. Today, we have for you an interesting episode. We finish our series of what powers the Friction Log website. Now, we're getting into some other technologies. We have a big backlog of things that we want to do that covers backend web front end and mobile and we try to make a spin on it right now and say hey what if we do an episode around aws amplify and what is a friction log look about that so we have our logger that's the word that we have used Rick, that went and tried AWS Amplify. We both have experience on AWS, some of the cloud things. I, personally, I have a lot of experience with uh, EC2 instances and uh, buckets, mm-hmm. S3 buckets, and setting up clusters on AWS, but never with Amplify, which is an interesting product. Rick, how do you define what AWS Amplify value proposition is? Oh man, it does so much. And it's also because because it's inside the AWS ecosystem, it kind of like ties all the stuff together. Kind of feels like the glue for everything for, you know, an application platform, if you will. So it has a GraphQL thing. So you get APIs. It will, if you use some of their starter kits and stuff, it'll set up DynamoDB and set up APIs and set up all your permissions and it'll use AWS Cognito for user auth. And it, it kind of just like is a ready-made backend using all the different AWS systems. And it's meant to be for like front-end developers or who's the target for this product? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think you could say it's for full-stack developers. That That's a fair comment uh in a past company we were helping consulting um and we were helping this startup and pretty sure mainly the back-end people were using it in their scenario but definitely if you're following twitter and following some of their influencers and their marketing material and stuff they definitely pitch it as a a full stack experience if you will very interesting okay I, I can see in their documentation that it has library, libraries for JavaScript, iOS, Android, and mm-hmm. Flutter. Have you ever tried Flutter before? No, I've only looked at their docs and kind of read the value add and then how things work, but I've actually never tried it. Okay, that might be another friction lock that we would do in the future. Okay, interesting. Uh, what was your goal when, when you did this uh, friction lock? So Fish Rules is... Uh, business that I own part owner of it's a regulation app for fishing, fishing regulations and the back end runs primarily in Firebase with Firebase functions. And we actually use Vercel and some things like that for the web. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to port over the back end part of Firebase, not the, not necessarily the data stores and stuff like that, but you know, Firestore and all that. but the analytics part that we do and a few other API and job type things, I wanted to port it over to, to amplify. And I actually legit was interested in doing that, even though 
some people be like, why would you put some things in Firebase and some things in AWS? But I actually had some good reasons, a good separation where I could make that work. So that was my goal was to take some of that and move it over, which seems like a, a viable use case, right? You're, you want to try this thing out. You've got this existing app, existing infrastructure. You want to move it over to see how it works. Yeah. And it's probably not the first time that you do something like that, right? So I remember fish rules used to be powered by parse and mobile backend. Yeah, that's right. In the day. And then you start that's moving right. to Firebase and, and that's how you iterate over products without having legacy code in there because if you just decide that it's going to stay as is eventually it's going to get old and eventually some of these companies or some of these products are going to transform into something else that it is not a good idea for you so this is i would say it's something that i would do myself like trying to move pieces and try out the technology and then mm -hmm. see if it's worth to do a full rollout or try to stay it or i don't know um, have a hybrid for whatever reason, too many use cases to think about. Okay, very interesting. Talk to me a little bit about the persona. In our studies, we always talk about this person and we try to, even though our listeners know us and know <laughs> that we do some of this, it's always good to have the context with the tool. Who's the persona? How do you describe it? Yeah, so obviously it's me. I've never used Amplify prior to the friction log here. I never personally used it. I had, like I mentioned before, I had a few customers in a previous job where we were consulting on AWS and their application and stuff like that, helping with their architecture and stuff. But, and they used Amplify and I never actually got in, you know, the weeds with it then. But my point of mentioning that is I was familiar with it, familiar with the value add, familiar with how a startup was using it, a pretty big startup. I, When I started this friction log, I was already familiar with the concepts of Amplify, definitely already familiar with GraphQL that, and AWS, so that, definitely familiar with those things. I've been following the community and some of the influencers on Amplify for a while. And prior to the friction log, I kind of sped read through the docs, the concepts, the marketing material, the value add. I kind of just did that for like 30 minutes, just skimming through it before I want to like get started yeah yeah i think when we talk about first time experiences it's not like you just jump into it without knowing anything just because the name sounded cool or because it's in this case <laughs> amazon behind it you have to know a little bit about the tool to really try to look for that performance so you have a goal you have basic knowledge no hands-on experience and you also have advice around the tool with some of the things. So you don't have complexity on the Node.js or the GraphQL implementation of it. It's more about you experimenting with Amplify, okay? Right, yep. UX laws, the Zigarnik effect. Hey, Cesar, what's the Zigarnik effect? I'm going to quote the definition on one of the websites. It says, people remember uncompleted or interrupted tasks better than completed tasks. And this goes along with some of the people remember more the bad stuff than the good stuff. We tend to have that, uh, that inclination to do that. Uh, so some of the key takeaways there is that you use progress bars for complex tasks to visualize when a task is incomplete. Like think about the survey and you're filling it and you're like, oh, 10%, 20, 33, 50. Right. So you as the product designer I'm, are making sure that the user completes the task so you can get the value out of it. But in some cases that person will remember something wrong about it. So does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Yeah. LinkedIn does that with their profiles, right there. Every time you go there and if you don't have it all filled out, hey, you're 70 something percent there. And it's a, this nagger, it's nagging, you know, at the top, always nagging you when you, when you get there. Uh, so it's definitely a forcing function, which is good. Uh, but definitely uh, can be a negative thing, <laughs> you know, like the, the last thing you do and you failed 
And that's what you're going to remember. Exactly. There you go. Zigarnik effect. Let's get to the actual locks. The lights, frictions, blockers, any polis. Where do you want to start today? Let's just start at the very beginning because I think that's probably the best delight that we have here. So you get into the beginning part of it and you install their CLI. And when you run Amplify in it, uh, it does all sorts of things. It sets up cloud formation stuff for you, IAMs, S3 buckets, all sorts of stuff. So on one hand, that's really awesome. That's, that's a delight because you run this thing and it sets up a whole backend system, APIs, everything for you. So you kind of walk away going, wow, that was pretty cool. Like I just ran this command. It does all this. So that's, that's a delight, but it's also a friction. And the reason why I say it's a friction <laughs> is because I've done this before and I, I see all this cloud formation stuff going flying through the screen and all these files being created, all these I, IAMs created and S3 bucket rolls and stuff. And I know in the back of my head, junk, I'm going to have to maintain this. I get a little, I get a little anxiety. I'm like, Oh, I don't know exactly what it just created. How am I going to maintain it? You know, what is actually going on behind the scenes? So there's a little bit of anxiety too, when that comes up, especially when you're dealing with, you know, AWS is so configuration heavy. So you're dealing with cloud formation and IMs and all that. And, it's doing all the config for you. So again, that's a delight because confirmations and all that stuff is a pain. That's why stuff like Pulumi is, you know, it's got such good traction because it takes that, that pain away to a degree, but you know, you, so it's a delight, but then at the same time, you're like, ah, what's it doing? <laughs> I have heard so many stories about people that get charges from AWS because they forgot to turn something off or to, stop a service and then you get this huge bill out of it that I know it also causes anxiety because you don't know when you're cleaning up everything. And I, I haven't used Amplify myself. I, I would expect that when you delete your instance, it will delete everything related to it. But <laughs> it's just so many stories of AWS credit card charges that are uh, massive that you don't want to you don't want to play with something that you don't know that much. So I can understand also from a financial perspective that I can have a little bit of an anxiety effect. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned that about deleting the projects. I, actually, I wrote that down as a friction too. I can just jump to that one real quick. So I went to clean up the project and we'll talk about some of their conventions and naming in, in a minute, but I got lost in the UI at, at some point. I, I don't remember exact details, and I, I wasn't quite up to speed with the difference between their, in their vernacular, a quote unquote project and a quote unquote API. So what I did was, I, this is the first thing I saw was that when I went to the interface, I'm like, oh, I'll just delete that and see what happens. So I deleted the API part and all the resources from S3 to the DynamoDB tables that were there. And I was going through and deleting all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this is, this is not good. And toward the end of that, I stumbled upon the, the quote unquote project in Amplify. And I deleted that and I think it cleaned up the rest of the stuff. So maybe if I would have deleted the project, it would have cleaned up everything. I don't know. I'm not really sure, but definitely wasn't clear. And I started with the API and then I went to S3 and then Dynamo. And I'm like, ah, this is because it creates so much stuff for you in AWS. Again, creates a little anxiety. <laughs> I try to avoid cloud formation because it's very AWS specific. I use right. either Pulumi or if I'm working with an enterprise customer, I use Terraform just to make sure that mm -hmm. everything gets deleted correctly. But for some reason, that seems like a third-party tool is doing the job from that I believe AWS should make sure like, oh, you're trying to delete this, which means that you're trying to delete everything. So let me help you with that. But mm -hmm. then again, it is AWS and, and too many things. And, and also you don't want to delete something that it is still being used or in production. And it is a complicated ecosystem to say the least. Okay, 
interesting. Yeah. Um, the the, uh, the other thing is, too, I'm sure there's, I, actually, I know there's AWS ninjas out there that like, oh, Rick, you're stupid. This would take five minutes to do. Or, no, uh, you just hit this one button or whatever. But that's not the point. The point is it's a friction log. And this is the first time experience of me working on it. I didn't know. You know, it, <laughs> the next time I spin one up and I want to delete it, I think I would know. i go to the project and delete it. Or to your point, if I was doing this for real and I was using the CDK or Pulumi or something, then yeah, that would probably take care of itself too. But the point isn't an expert in one tool says, oh, of course, that's easy. That's not the point. It's a friction regardless. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the first time experience. If you are knowledgeable, I'm sure you have some other frictions of some other kind. And and you, like we can explore that with tools that we know and we can do experiments. But if it's a first time experience and you're facing this frustration because then again, all the UI on the AWS console, and I think we're getting into your next friction with the configure part of it. The whole console is this massive thing that that it is very similar, but at the same time, each thing does the same. Like I remember configuring load balancers and types and instances and spot instances for some things and it's just it all looks the same which is good and it also is not that good <laughs> right right yeah so the amplify configure command this is another friction well it's a friction and delight and it's really not amplify's fault so it's nice that amplify has this configure command which takes you to the console to config to continue the configuration because there's a few things you still have to do in the console, uh, in the AWS console. Well, so it's nice that it redirects you to the right spot right away, but the small amount of friction, again, not really amplifies fault. The small amount of friction is a typical AWS problem, which is, and I've got several AWS accounts. You go to the AWS console and you're never sure which one you're in. And invariably, it always takes you to the wrong one, too. It's kind of annoying. So it took me to something <laughs> that it was the wrong one. So, you know, a couple of clicks and you fix it. It's not hard. It's just, it's always a friction. It's always annoying. Again, it's not Amplify's fault. It's AWS's fault. But it's just a frustrating console and it's even worse when you have like the single sign-on you know enterprise customer uh, company type login and that's different than the other one you can never figure out which login to go to it's annoying <laughs> well i can tell you that when i spin up clusters to test my stuff i typically create one cluster per region which i know it sounds insane but it is a good level of separation for me to say, oh, I have this cluster running on US West or US East. Because when you spun up like a Kubernetes cluster or an OpenShift cluster, you get so many things created for you. Like, yeah. Sounds like exactly what you were doing. And it, it is difficult for me. I want to add a new worker or I want to add more resources to something. And it's just, I don't want to mess with other clusters. I'm doing demos. I'm helping other people building their own clusters. So I try to have mm -hmm. that separation. And to me, the, the filter is by region, which sounds insane every time I think about it, but it is the way that I have made it work. And, and it just works for me. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting <laughs> hack. <laughs> oh, I'm sure like the latency and, and uh, I'm sure there is somebody, an expert, as you said, that is going to say, oh, you can filter by this and custom attributes and do that. And, but it is not, it is not as simple as I believe it should be. And that is a friction for me. I'm not even doing a friction log. I'm just talking about like what I do every day or every couple of days. Okay. Interesting. Let's move on to TypeScript in the starter tutorial. Talk to me a little bit that, about that friction. So th that one that I logged was really, really small, just little tiny bit of friction. Uh, all it was was, I, so I, I did a React TypeScript project. I, I think I used Snowpack too, because that version two had just come out and I wanted to try it. And the type definitions for the AWS export file were missing. So I needed to add a generic one. I, it, it took like three seconds to do. It was really easy. You just declare the AWS mobile 
I think it's mobile types and then boom, it works. But you know, just there's other things. It it has TypeScript in in all the other libraries or at least some of them, it seems. So it's just kind of weird that I had to add that. But again, very, very tiny friction, very minor, but it nevertheless was a friction. And they add up as we have mentioned in previous episodes. Okay. Very interesting. GraphQL, you have another one here. Spec difference. What is that about? <laughs> okay. So this is a personal experience. Uh, I've used GraphQL in a lot of different settings across different vendors. You know, we use GraphCMS here. I use it in fish rules, use Apollo, you know, our own setup at Pinpoint as well. And in every case, it uses the relay spec. And so when it was generating the GraphQL schema and model and amplify, the DSL of the graph is different than the relay spec that I'm familiar with, you know, the plural and singular names, the edges and nodes. It's not a huge deal, but it did cause me to pause and wonder if this was actually consistent across everything. If I start, you know, running this command and it spins up this API and it run this command, it spins up this thing in front of Dynamo and all this stuff. Like, is it going to be consistent? Because the, the experience with AWS across the board is nothing's consistent. There's these little pockets of teams and they all have, even the command line CLI, if you run one part of it, it's like camel case and the other part it's underscore. So, you know, knowing that I, I saw that I'm like, oh, this is like, if I want to build tooling around this GraphQL, GraphQL stuff, like, are they going to switch it around on me? Now, obviously, once I got into it, I realized how it worked, but that was an initial friction as I saw it. I'm like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go down. I think I'm, you know, a little bit more knowledgeable now of AWS Amplify and, you know, it, I don't think I'm worried about it now, but Definitely when I jumped in it, that was a, that was a worry. <laughs> yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, I mean, when you're used to, and it's consistent, when you're used to work with GraphQL in these settings and you have a pattern and then some tool does something different, then it creates a friction. It's just natural and it makes sense. Okay, what else? One of the things that... It's, it's, it's so hard to name things. You know how it is. It's like, wasn't that one of the two rules of three rules of engineering or computer science? Caching is hard and naming things is hard. And some of the language and terms that's used is just so overloaded. And there's like this cognitive overhead and language friction. Literally one of the things, I can't remember where it's at, but one of the things in the docs used this. It said, AppSync GraphQL API Lambda function is like, I read that. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, does this mean anything? Is this actually, there's AppSync and then there's AppSync GraphQL. And then is there AppSync GraphQL API? And then there's a Lambda function. Ah, it's just the fact that all of those words were strung together. I don't know. It's just kind of marketing soup or word soup or something. Um, So there's a lot of that with Amplify. I don't know if it's totally Amplify's fault, honestly. It's it's kind of an AWS problem, but it definitely was frustrating. You have to sit there and read through a sentence three times because you're trying to understand what AppSync GraphQL API Lambda function means. <laughs> it's so hard to name products or features uh, to some degree. You don't want to be too generic, but you don't want to be too specific. And I think because AWS is so big, it has to have complicated names and it has like sometimes they try to be smart about something but like they keep using ec2 for computing and it's mm-hmm. like okay that, that seems to be i don't want to say annoying but it just causes friction it's just too many terms and load balancers and, and the things that i have to deal with like route 53 for for the dns it, it's i don't know it's just they have to they have to do something with it it's getting too complex yeah there you know there's a there's a law called tesla's law or the law of conservation of complexity which states that any system there's a certain amount of complexity which cannot be reduced but that's a battle you have to you have to fight that like that's definitely true that at some point you can't reduce the complexity any further but you have to fight against it. And if you just kind of sit there and go, Hey, this is what we came up with and just go with it. 
and you're never at, you're never challenging yourself to make it simpler, make it simpler, make it simpler. Whether that's architecture, whether that's code or names of products or your documentation, you should always challenge yourself to try to make it simpler. And it definitely feels like with the AWS ecosystem in general, not again, not specifically AWS Amplify, but in general, it feels like AWS just kind of says, well, we can't reduce this to be any simpler. It's just, it is what it is. And they re- I think they need to challenge themselves to make things simpler, including the documentation. <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing is sometimes these products or these features are in development. And I'm not saying about AWS, just in general, something gets defined for development. And then, of course, we're developers and we're releasing stuff. And at some point, this tool, this feature gets released and it has some sort of a hack or some sort of like a product name, like a code name that just turns to be the product name because nobody thought about something else. And now is it adds complexity because nobody actually mm-hmm. did that fight that you were talking about, like to reduce that complexity. It's just like, oh, everybody knows that we're talking about project Iron Man. <laughs> and then at some point you see this company launching like, oh, we have Iron Man API. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does that do? <laughs> and it happens. Right. Yep. So I think AWS suffers from from that, and it's it's a you have to com- constantly remind yourself that user empathy is important, and you can't accept the fact that everybody in your little group think bubble it, uh, they might know everything you're talking about, but anybody outside, you know, they, they don't, and they don't care that you have this hidden tribal, you know knowledge insider baseball they just don't care they, they they know what they know and they don't care that you know something different they just want to use something and if there's friction there you know it's bad you lose exactly okay moving on to our logs because i know we're getting into into little side conversations which are important mm-hmm. it's part of the experience but let's let's get back to the logs talk to me a little bit about more frictions yeah, so a, a big one is the custom resolvers, which to me is is kind of table stakes for something that's a custom API, you know, that you want to write. Adding a custom resolver is pretty intimidating because of all of the boilerplate and config code. It's not hard. It's just there's a lot of boilerplate. There's a lot of config. And, I, you know, I just referenced the, there's a document Hold on, let me pull it up. I, I put a link to it in the friction log, so let me pull this up. What's it called? Add a custom resolver that targets a DynamoDB table from a model. So that document is an example. It's not immediately clear why there's a stacks definition and what you're supposed to be there, or what's or why is it supposed to be there, what's supposed to be there, and you know why do you need it for, to create a resolver? Again, coming from some, if you're coming from outside of the Amplify ecosystem, you don't need a stacks folder to create an endpoint. You just go into your code, create the GraphQL schema, create the handler, and you're done. So, what is the stacks thing? I don't know. Now, if you read through the document, you figure it out, but you know, it's just like they, it kind of just like, Hey, go do this, go do this, go do this, go do this. And and it's like, why, 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 why? So it's not even clear what it does without diving into like other content. That's not actually not next, uh, necessarily accessible on that page. Sometimes you have to Google it and then you figure out more and you kind of stitch together. Oh, this is how this works or this is why they need it. In fact, I would even challenge the user doesn't care why AWS needs it. So then why even have it? But that's maybe a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, at the end of the day, you go back to Stack Overflow and then you find somebody that went through the same. <laughs> exactly. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, our thanks to Stack Overflow, saving developers all over the world every day. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But it just even in that this document, this documentation thing is a perfect example. It says things like, write the resolver template. That's one of the steps. Well, what is it? What's it for? Is it a file that needs to be created? It just says, write the resolver template. Now, they later on, they tell you what it is, but 
what is it? Like, wh- why do you need a resolver template? It, especially like for me, come from a GraphQL background, I don't have a resolver template in YAML or whatever. Like, what's the point? And then they have things like velocity is useful as a fast blah, 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 blah. Well, what is that? Where do I find that? Who created maintains velocity? I don't even know what that is. You know, there's things like that over and over and over and over again. And they kind of, it's like death by a million paper cuts. <laughs> I think we, like, I would see it as when you're writing documentation or tutorials, I apply a storytelling principle. Like, I want to walk you through it on the why and then what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I feel like from what I'm hearing from your experience and from what I'm seeing from the docs, it just makes a lot of assumptions that that you don't really know. And maybe some other people do, but and definitely the person that wrote this knows it. But that creates more friction. And we can talk about storytelling for hours. So I'm not going to go that route, but I, I I see what you're saying. It's It's interesting. Yeah. Another one kind of goes along with the documentation, but it's also just the the getting started experience. So when you get started, the logical one you use is the one that spins up DynamoDB in the starter tutorial. And it's actually pretty frictionless and it's very impressive. You go through it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Did all this for me. But it, it doesn't do it for any other data sources that they have, like Aurora or some other data source. So it'd be nice if they did, but then when you go find the documentation for, Hey, how do I do this for my sequel or something? It's this huge gigantic document. And you're like, Oh my goodness, I have to do all that to just use this with amplify. It's, it's kind of odd actually. Cause the, the experience goes from it swings from, wow, this is amazing to, Oh my goodness, look at all this configuration that I have to do to get this to work. <laughs> I see. I see. I, I, I'm thinking that you, that, you had a Pola, a principle of least astonishment, just experience there. And I think you have documented as another friction. You want to talk about the Pola uh, principle that you experienced there? Yeah. So the principle of least astonishment in this case, it actually created the expectation and then like jumped to the other side of the expectation was weird. It's it's like this exponential complexity where you kind of start off, you know, tiptoeing in and you're like, wow, it's a good surprise. You're like, wow, that's really cool. They did all this stuff for me. I spun it up. That's awesome. And so I went from that to like minutes later, Oh my word, really? I have to do all of this just to create an endpoint. Are you kidding me? So it it just, it, it, it goes from one side. It's just stark. It's very stark experience. Now, again, Amplify people, I'm sure going to go, Rick, you're stupid. It literally, you run this command and it does this and it does all this for you. And and I know that there are commands or there's things that do make your life easier. But again, from a first time experience and I'm like, okay, all I want to do is create a custom endpoint and I Google it and I find these docs on AWS and it's like shocking. It, the, again, it principle of least astonishment. There was a lot of astonishment on just how complex it got immediately <laughs> past the getting started tutorials, which wow. to that point, my guess is, I don't know, but my guess is Amplify has a huge dropping off point. I, I bet you there's like tons of people who sign up, tons of people who try it out that do the getting started that do that. I bet you it's really high cause it's pretty impressive and, and you watch these videos and stuff and it's, it's, it's very um, attractive, but I bet you a ton of people just fall off uh, versus something like next JS or Firebase um, or something like that, which is uh, Firebase is kind of in the middle. It's not super easy, but it's not super complex. And then, you know, something like Vercel and Next.js is like, you don't have to do anything. You just, here's this folder called APIs and you put stuff in it and you're done. So I'm, I'm sure there's a falling off there, a big drop. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking that you experienced the Zigarnik effect. I don't know if I said that correctly. But I, I think you are experiencing that remembrance of the incompleted or the things that you couldn't do because they were too complex. And you kind of like allocated some time to do your POC and you try it out. And then you're seeing all this complexity to actually make it useful. And then at the end of the experience, I can see through the logs that you're getting more tied up into those 
uncompleted or interrupted task. Would you say that that's what happened? Yeah, I think so. It, it, as soon as anytime I see Amplify in my Twitter feed and I, I, I'll read up on it or whatever, I always think back to, oh yeah, I tried to port my official stuff and it's still not done yet. <laughs> and it's it, to a degree, the Zgarnik effect, a lot of people use it as, you know, as a, a forcing function to get people to finish something. But in this case, the Zgarnik effect, I like, I remember that, yeah, that's too complex for me to just port my fish rules, you know, side hobby business thing over. So definitely, it's definitely something that stands out as a memory. It's also kind of that, that peak end rule, right. That we talked about last podcast that, that yeah, you know, yeah. people remember, people remember the peaks and the ends. And I definitely remember the end <laughs> of this experiment. And if you, our dear listener are reading between lines, this is one of the experiments that we did in friction log that never got completed because at some point it was just too hard and that happens and that's how we try out new technologies. So I think you have a blocker in there regarding the porting of an existing application. You want to go right. into detail on, on that and then why you at the end decided like, oh, I'm going to leave this for later or I'm going to wait until their next iteration to see if it's the right solution for me. Um, and such. Yeah. So it, it just boiled down to, it wasn't worth it for me to finish it. And I didn't want to maintain the, the entire surface area of AWS. It felt like to, you know, just to port some functions and some, some things over and, and, you know, there's some emotional things that kind of stand out. It's, it's just not clear what all that config does. And copying, pasting stuff from tutorials and stuff just it, it is worrisome. So that that's an instant turnoff for me personally. Some people love it. Some people love config by, you know, dev by config. And the other big thing is, it's not this complicated in other products. Again, back to that Tesla law, it, it, it's reduce the complexity. Let's not accept this as the end all. It's not this complicated elsewhere. When I was looking at maybe possibly porting fish rules back and stuff to other places. And so that caused me to kind of go through those emotional cycles. Maybe I don't need to do this. What other platforms can I use? And I start Googling that and man, what's it like maintaining, you know, that whole emotional churn that you go through when there's friction. Yeah. I went through all that. And at the end of the day, I'm like, eh, I'll just worry about amplify later. Maybe one day. And that's kind of how I ended it. Which means that you're not going to come to it in the next two years, but yeah, maybe one day. Next Next two years or when I get, or when I get bored one night, you know, that's how that works. (laughs) Yeah. It's very interesting because sometimes you come to these tools and you expect it that it is going to be the right tool. And sometimes it doesn't work for you. And, and when we, maybe we have a persona that it is an AWS expert or, or somebody has worked with AWS things that it is even using like cloud nine for as an IDE and it has servers over Mm -hmm. there and it's doing, front end, back end, and all of that, maybe they like Amplify. Like I know people that like Cognito way more than I do. And it's because they have a lot more experience and a lot of more traction with the AWS stack. And I put them into something that I consider simpler and they don't like it. And it's totally fair. It doesn't mean that it is a bad tool. It just means that for this persona was not the right choice at this time. It might be in the future. I want to thank you, Rick, for having this experiment. I don't want to say painful, but it, I can really read what you were experiencing in some of those things and how it's like, man, I can do all this this easily at the beginning to like, mm-hmm. this is frustrating. This is not for me. So I want to thank you for being our guinea pig with AWS Amplify. And we will see you on our next episode. Great. Thanks, Cesar. Well, that's all for today's episode of Friction Log. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and visit our website, frictionlog.com. Adios, amigos. You know, I was watching the Apple event where they announced the Apple Watch and I wonder like what if we do a friction log from a developer standpoint on all these highly produced 
Apple shows. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. What do you think? Did you uh, see the news? Did you watch the event? What? What? How was your perception of it? Yeah, I did. Uh, I thought the the presentation was decent. It was kind of interesting, not being in a you know a theater or whatever. Uh, that was nice. The as far as friction logs go, from a developer perspective, it's pretty weird to have a a conference like that and go. Oh, by the way, we're, we're releasing a new iOS now. Ah, and everybody's running around. <laughs> the Twitter feed was my Twitter feed was full of uh people's you know minds being blown emojis <laughs> oh yeah and not because good... we were on we were yeah. on like beta six and at that point apple released like the golden master which is what you use to submit your apps to support ios 14 yeah, and the users right. won't forget like they're they're not forgiving and they will mark as a bad review if you don't update your app so that was that was interesting. It, it definitely cleared some emotions. I was seeing like, oh, everybody's happy about the new iPads because they are not as highly priced as the iPad Pro. And then the Apple Watch has these little few things. And then they announced the Apple bundle and everybody started wondering like, oh, they're pushing the services and stuff. And then I feel like all the developers, we were back in our seats when they say, oh, by the way, tomorrow is iOS 14 day. Welcome. <laughs> yeah that was pretty rough i mean if we did a friction log on that we should invite like 10 developers to just hear their stories <laughs> oh i'm sure we will have a lot of them and you know i was um not a friction but a, a comment like thinking from a friction log perspective the presenters the main two ones tim cook and uh i think uh, jeff williams i think is his name they are they're not the most enthusiastic and they're they're pretty plain when they announce the stuff and how they make their remarks and it's right. like if it was in the super highly produced apple show it would be boring it's not the steep jobs kind of thing i mean i like how the conversation goes but it's not particularly like oh my god this is awesome they use other people to do that and these people were not on this event they were in the wwdc like craig federighi and some of those so yeah right to me, that right. was that was a friction of like oh, this is like if it was anybody else i would have like stopped the streaming and do something else but they they pull it off they pull it off with all the production I guess Apple TV Plus production is helping for that. <laughs> right. 